And I don't know if any of you know what this Sunday is. Chris knows. It's uh, Pentecost Sunday. And so as I was thinking about this, I thought, boy, I want to I wanna address this. I want to talk about this, particularly coming on the heels of what we talked about last week in Romans chapter 5, verse 9, excuse me, verse 10, when we talked about this incredible concept that's in the New Testament that often I think we, we overlook and th this idea of union with Christ. And that I mentioned last week that the, this phrase, in Christ, um, is given to us in Paul's letters about 165 times. So it's something that I believe that's, that's very important for us to, to really begin to grasp and really to, I think we need something that we enter into, this idea of this union with Jesus Christ. And it is done through the power or through the agency of the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus is currently at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for each of us. And the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit. It's very clear that, this is, uh, that he was sent to us uh, in the book of John where Jesus says that I will send you what? Remember, a comforter, a teacher, an instructor, bless you, who will show you all things. And he will not speak of himself that when he speaks, he will speak of Jesus. But sometimes I think we think about the Holy Spirit as like this ethereal kind of presence or mist. That would be a physical manifestation. But he's an actual person. He's the third person in the Trinity. And, and so because this is Pentecost Sunday, I would like to turn to the book of Acts chapter 2. And, and I'm just going to barely touch on this. I was... I read through this, and um, I want to say I would need a few weeks to really teach through this particular chapter. Um, so I'm just going to take the first four verses this morning and, and, and talk about the work and the person of the Holy Spirit who is the agent of this concept that we looked at last week of this union with Jesus Christ. In verse 1 of chapter 2, I'm going to read from the New American Standard 20 edition. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, distributing themselves, and a tongue rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues as the Spirit was, given, was giving them the ability to speak. And so, Father, we ask that you would give us the ability to hear. 
And Lord, by your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to each of us this morning. Help us to recognize your ministry and to comprehend the vital work that you do in the life of each believer. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. The context here in Acts chapter 2 is that Jesus has risen from the dead. He ministered for 40 days. And it's, it's an interesting thing because in verse 3 of chapter 1, it says, To these he, being Jesus, also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, and get this, speaking of the things regarding the kingdom of God. That is really important. I could almost camp out on that and just go on and, and really talk about this. But I do want to bring that to your attention because the number one topic that God, the Lord spoke about in the Gospels was what? The kingdom. And the fact that we are a part of God's kingdom and the fact that he is our king. And so he spends 40 days preaching to them, speaking to them regarding the kingdom. And he ascends into heaven and prior to his ascension, he says to them, for John, that is John the Baptist, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And, of course, they, they, really, they really didn't catch on to what was happening, which was very typical of them. They had trouble understanding these things. And he said, is it not, in verse 7, uh, they asked him, and they said, is it not for, oh, oh, I'm sorry, back to verse 6. They said to him, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? Well, after all, what he had been teaching on the last 40 days, the kingdom, what, he, what had he focused on probably more than anything else in his ministry before the cross, the kingdom? So, and sometimes we hear what we want to hear, don't we? Because he told them that the kingdom of God is here, but he also told them the kingdom of God is not yet. And while we don't have it recorded, those 40 days of his teaching, I'd love to get a hold of those tapes. But, but, I, I believe it had a lot to do with this idea of the kingdom of God is here, then, here, now, but not here in its fullness. So you have this tension of here but not yet that we in the church era have been living in for the last 2,000 years. We are part of God's kingdom. He is ruling and reigning. But one day he will come and he will rule reign completely so they think well okay is now the time uh, that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel but he said to them it is not for you to know periods of time or appointed times which the father has set by his own authority but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you should be my witnesses both in Jerusalem in all Judea Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. 
So what he does is he takes this commission that he gave them in Matthew chapter 28, and also uh, we see this in, in the book of Mark to a degree also in the book of Luke, but he takes this commission that he gives them and he extends it, or he, he uh, not really extends it. What he does is he further amplifies what this commission is all about and the necessity of the Holy Spirit to come upon them for them to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and then extends to the farthest remote places of the earth. Now, let me interpret that for you. That means Gentile territory. That means those people that the Jews didn't like. That means those people who the Jews believed were nothing more than kindling for the fires of hell. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so you have this promise of the Spirit. They are together waiting for this promise to happen. They have no idea how long it's going to be. Ten days later, so Jesus was ministering for how many days? Forty. And then ten, let's do a little math, that gives you fifty, which is right on the very date of the Feast of Pentecost. The word Pentecost is a Greek word, which means, guess what? Fifty, okay? Because it was 50 days after the first Sabbath. Now, what's the Sabbath in Jewish thinking? Thank you, Saturday. 50 days after the first Sabbath of Passover, and in the Jewish thinking, Passover was the day of Passover on the 14th of Nisan and then the entire week of the Feast of, um, all of a sudden my mind went blank. I want to say unleavened bread. Um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that whole period of time was known as Passover. Those eight days, all right? So we are at one of the other Jewish harvest feast it's in the celebration of the beginning of the wheat harvest and, and and without taking a lot of time to go back into the old testament like i said i could teach on this for quite a while part of what the jews did in pentecost was that they would offer two loaves from the wheat harvest as a grain offering to the lord a kind of first fruit if you will that was given uh, to the Lord. Now, in the Old Testament, it was known as the Festival of Weeks. It's a one-day festival, but they called it the Festival of Weeks. Why? Because you've got to think in Jewish thinking here, it was a week of weeks plus one. A week, seven, of weeks. They referred to the seven-day period as a week. So it was one seven times seven. Seven times seven is what? 49 plus one, 50, Pentecost. Did I lose anybody? 
I think I've lost me, but I'll, I'll find my notes and we'll get going. Anyway, that's how they reckoned this time. And so obviously, if it was 50 days before the first pa- Sabbath on Passover, it would also fall on the first day of the week, which is a Sunday. Although, you ever see calendars that start with Monday? See, they've taken that phrase weekend literally, haven't they? The reality is the weekend's Friday and Saturday. I'm, I'm not going to go down that road. That's, I'm fighting an uphill battle that I'm never going to win. The first day of the week is, 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 is Sunday, and it was the first day of the week that the early church met on. Why? To commemorate, exactly, to commemorate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And to every day, every, excuse me, every Sunday was a remembrance. You know, they took communion. The early church took communion every Sunday because it was a remembrance. By the way, they went to church like almost all day. Um, I don't know if I have that much (laughs) energy, but anyway. uh, And then they had a full meal. Now, I don't know how that really worked because they didn't have, Churches with kitchens in those days. But they made it work. Because they met in houses, right? Getting off track. It was known as the Feast of Weeks. It was also known as a Feast of First Fruits. It was another First Fruit Feast. Because of the offering of the two loaves of the wheat harvest that was made on that day. It is an interesting day in many respects, too, because it's also believed that on Pentecost was the day that God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. And if you chase the chronology in the book of Exodus, you'll see that 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 fits pretty well. So you have the giving of the law, which among other things, did what? It was the establishment of the nation of Israel. What you have here now in Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost is you have the giving not of the law, but of the Spirit, who writes the laws of God upon our hearts. And... Pentecost is considered by many scholars the founding day of the church of Jesus Christ. So this is a huge day. This, this uh, Pentecost Sunday is a huge day when we really start to think uh, of, of, of um, how God knit all these things together. The giving of the law. The establishment and the establishment of the nation of Israel, the giving of the Holy Spirit to come upon all believers and to fill all believers that it happens in the book of Pentecost. Excuse me, at the Feast of Pentecost, the book of, anyway, the book of Acts, sorry. I'm back. So this is really an involved uh, 
concept that, that the Lord here knits together. And, and you have this ministry of the Holy Spirit that, that is continuing, that we really see uh, all the way back in the very beginning of the Gospels, where John the Baptist is filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to throw some verses out at you. Don't bother to turn to them. Luke chapter 1, verse 15. John the, the Baptist is filled with the Holy Spirit even prior to his birth. He's filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. He's set aside. Uh, so Elizabeth, his mother, who we spoke about recently, can no longer eat, drink Welch's grape juice. Why? Because he was a Nazarite from the womb. A Nazarite, you did not eat or drink of the fruit of the vine. So, and it was a form of consecration, a form of setting apart. And the Holy Spirit fills John the Baptist even before he's, he was born. And the Holy Spirit comes upon Elizabeth, his mother, Zechariah, his father, in, in, and, and later, the Holy Spirit comes upon Simeon when Mary and Joseph brought baby Jesus to the temple to dedicate him. The Holy Spirit comes upon Simeon to prophesy over the Holy Spirit, excuse me, over Jesus. So you have this work of the Holy Spirit who is, who, I want to say silent partner, but that's not really a, a good description. The best I've got for you right now. But he, he doesn't work behind the scenes, but he works in the spiritual sense. So maybe that's why it feels more like a silent partner. He works in the spiritual sense. He did that with John the Baptist, with Elizabeth, with Zechariah. He did that with Simeon. He does that with you and I. You have the Holy Spirit who comes over Mary and overshadows Mary, the mother of Jesus, and by the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is conceived. And you have, through the work of the Holy Spirit, this, God, this, this perfect unity between God and humanity perfected in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and so the Holy Spirit overshadowing, coming upon Mary in the creation of Jesus, 100% God, 100% man. And in the same way now the Holy Spirit comes upon and overshadows his church. And so you have this this. Really, this, and I, I've mentioned this to you before, and I think some of you get it, and some of you think I'm starting to become a heretic, or that's okay. This extension of the incarnation, because we do have within us Christ, the hope of glory. We do have dwelling in us Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. And remember, we were, we were talking about this recently on a, on a Wednesday, and, and when, I, when I mention any person of the Trinity in my thinking, it automatically implies the other two are involved. And so that's why, number one, I can, I can correlate this, this coming upon, this baptizing, this filling of the Holy Spirit here in Acts chapter 2 with this idea of union with Christ because it is the, the Trinity that is doing this incredible work. 
And it is the Holy Spirit who lives in us, who dwells in us. And it is the Holy Spirit who is the primary person of the triune Godhead who relates to humanity today. Where do I want to go with this? And the work of the Holy Spirit is not weird. But if we had the sound of a mighty rushing wind in here right now, what would you do? Some of you would praise God. Some of you might be like, I don't know what's going on. And I want to stick around to see what's happening. Some of you may head for the door. Jesus said, and I'll misquote it, so I'm going to turn to it. John chapter 3. Sometimes I feel like all the answers in the book are in John chapter 3. They really are. Verse 6, he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the kingdom, excuse me, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. I was reading the verse up uh, in front of that. So do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You can hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. The word wind in the Greek, the word spirit in the Greek are the same word. Or excuse me, is the same word. It's the word pneuma. P-N-U-E. I think it's U-E, not E-U. Uh, M-A, the pneuma, the wind, the spirit. Incidentally, the Hebrew language is the same thing as the Hebrew word rock, which stands for spirit, which can be translated spirit, can be translated wind. So at times, the spirit will do things such as we read about here, where you have this violent rushing wind, and, and then you have this, this fire that descends. The way the Greek grammar reads, it's like this fire that comes down. All right, this, this almost sounds like a fairy tale, doesn't it? You have a fire that comes down, and then all of a sudden, it starts dividing, and it starts resting upon each person in the room, about 120 and the fire resembles a divided tongue. Or if your new King James says cloven. I don't like cloven. And I think, anyway, I like divided. It, I understand that better. And, and that this fire divides itself and comes upon each and every one and it rests upon or the new King James says that the fire sat upon them. Now think about that. 
It's a burning bush experience. But this time, rather than a bush that is not burning, it is a person who is not burning. We do not have, this will make some of you more comfortable. We do not have this experience repeated in the scriptures. And I tend to, just like there was, no, there was not another Sinai experience. Now, there was a re-giving of the law in the book of Deuteronomy to the new generation, the younger generation, before they went into the promised land. But it was nowhere near as dynamic as the thunders and the lightning and, and the loud trumpets that got louder and louder and the fire and the smoke that was on Mount Sinai. Fire represents the presence of God in the scriptures. And that this fire that did not consume them. So I'm thinking this, this is a miracle. Because I do, I think, I think in Exodus where, where, where Moses goes and sees a bush that is burning but it is not consumed. How, how in the world can that happen? I, I want to say, Lord, that's one of your, <laughs> and it's not one of his best tricks. But to me, I think, wow, that, that's something to have a, a, a bush that's burning. Do you remember the real significance about the place of the burning bush in, in the desert? What, when Moses approached, God begins to speak through the bush. What was the first thing that God told Moses to do? Take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. That fascinates me. Because in the Semitic race, the, and, and it's this way today in certain, actually certain Arab countries. I had a friend when he was during Desert Storm, he was over there, and he said you would never sit with one leg propped up on the other so that someone could see the bottom of your foot. That's what was the case. Yeah, because you were there, right? It was a real insult. I won't to show someone the bottom of your feet. Because in that culture, the bottom of your feet was considered the very dirtiest part of who you are. And God invites Moses to place the dirtiest part of his feet, of his body, onto the holiness of his ground. And I have to think that this narrative in the desert with Moses, this idea of the use of fire, also speaks into this idea of these, the, this fire resting upon humanity. Because, because I, this, this word resting, it, 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 to me, it, it fascinated me. Um, because... In the Greek, it means to remain in some time, in some place. It, 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 it indicates a settled situation. In other words, when the fire 
remained or when the fire sat or when the fire rested, it became a, this permanent uh, sense of commitment. I'm thinking of some of those pictures that I've seen where they, where they come west, um, and uh, especially like the Oklahoma land rush where you have all these people who are just going crazy, going after it, and you got one guy out there with a hammer and a stake and with a sign he's laying claim to a piece of property. That's kind of the idea here in the language. It also means not only to remain, to stay, but it also means to reside in. Remember last week when I talked about abiding? We went to the book of John. Here we have essentially this same uh, allegoric description through this fire abiding on these people. The Holy Spirit has come to abide. The Holy Spirit has come to abide to give us power to witness in our Jerusalem, our Judea, out to Samaria and to the far remotest parts of the earth. So you have this, this incredible illustration where the Holy Spirit is coming upon them, resting upon them, dwelling in them. Now, in John 20, John 20, Jesus, when he appeared to them, he breathes upon them. And he says to them what? Receive the Holy Spirit. Now they had already then received the Holy Spirit. So what is this all about in Acts chapter 2? Is it a reinvestment? Is this, is this a proof text for a, a doctrine called the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I am not exactly sure what's going on here. Good. I got everybody's attention. Because I think you can make the argument either way. I also believe according to what Paul wrote about later is that we receive this baptism of the Holy Spirit when we are born again of the Spirit, when we become, when we become Christians. Because you do not see Paul instructing on this being a second experience. And you won't find it. You won't find it in any of his letters. But what happened is just like Sinai. When God is doing a new work, a new era that he's beginning to work in. Some of you call them dispensations or ages. I think the Bible says there's only two ages, this age and the age to come, but I'm not going to go down that road today. But when he does a new work, often it's done in such a way that you have this incredible marker that establishes from this day forward, now this is how God relates to man. That's what Sinai was really all about. From this day forward, you are my chosen people. These are the rules that you will keep. And of course, by this time, what are they doing? They're dancing around a piece of gold. I'm getting weird. 
But God said from this day forward, bless you, you will be my chosen people. All of that, the giving of the law, the feast, the Sabbaths, the new moons, according to the book of Colossians, they point to what? They are a shadow and they point toward the substance who is Christ. These feasts, these seven feasts, I haven't talked a lot, I don't have time to talk a whole lot about them this morning, but these feasts, they all pointed to Jesus Christ. This feast of weeks, this feast of the first fruits, the feast of Pentecost, in using the Greek term, they were pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ who ascended, tells them to wait for 10 days because he's going to give them the Spirit. Because it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we have our union with Christ. Do you guys see this? The Holy Spirit is not a person that we need to fear. Or he is not a person who's going to turn us into somebody weird. Yeah, the spirit is like the wind. It blows where it wants. You can't tell where it comes from. You cannot tell where it's going. Which tells me a few things. One, it tells me you cannot control the Holy Spirit. You can quench him. You can grieve him. But you can't dictate to him. But it also tells me this idea, the, the, the comparison of the Holy Spirit with the wind that blows and you can't tell where it's coming from, where it's going, it, 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 it does what it does, is that in our union with Christ, we are called to a sense of abandonment that we are like John in the gospel, John the Baptist in the Gospel of John when he said that we must what? He must what? He must decrease and we must what? Increase. You see, when I really, I, I think part of what Jesus was talking about, this idea of being born again and the wind, of the, uh, uh, referring it to the spirit where it comes, you can't tell where it's coming from, you can't tell where it's going, is you just got to get on board is what he's implying. It's a call, it's implied, but it's a call to submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because our union with Christ is, is more than just, I had this great little wonderful warm and fuzzy relationship with me and Jesus. As important as I think that is, by the way. The whole purpose of our transformation, well, I think their, their twofold purpose says, 
But one of the purposes of our transformation, our being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, is really, again, what I've read to you already twice in the first chapter of the book of Acts, is that we are called to be his witness. We are called to serve. We are called to extend the message of the kingdom of God into our Jerusalem, into our Judea, into Samaria, and to, if possible, the remotest parts of the earth. Because, and I've read a lot of writing on spiritual formation. And... Almost all of them are consistent when they finally say the real purpose of being transformed spiritually into the image of Jesus Christ is to be transformed spiritually into the image of Christ for the sake of the world and for the glory of God. Because without getting into it, and it's, it's a wonderful sermon, We read later in the book of, of chapter 2. After they are accused of being drunk, right? Says Peter's taking his stand with the other. Notice it says 11, by the way. That legitimizes Matthias in my understanding. He stands up and he preaches this incredible sermon. And of all places, he takes them where? To the book of Joel. We don't have time to look at this morning. I read, the, I read the first couple of chapters this morning before we left. And it's a fascinating book. It's an end time book. It's end time prophecy. And from verses 17 through verses 21 of the second chapter of Acts, Peter is pulling this from the second chapter of the book of Joel. And he's applying it to that day. He's applying it to that day, not this day. And I believe that there's no mistake. Peter just didn't, you know, he wasn't caught up in the moment. He was filled with the Spirit. And he's telling them that we have now entered the end, the last days. Also implanting in them the fulfillment of the last days, which is the fulfillment of what? I've already talked about it a few times this morning. The kingdom of God. The ushering in of the fullness of the kingdom of God, and he's saying it has, ha it has started to happen, and it is beginning to happen and will start right at that moment and continue on at least until the present day if not further.
And so we live with this expectation of his coming. But we recognize that, that, that we are already in that place chronologically where God is initiating the process for his final return, which will uh, uh, culminate in what is called the day of the Lord and then his final return to the earth and he will come and he will set up his kingdom. And he will pour out his spirit, verse 18, in those days. Back up even to verse 17. He will pour out his spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will have dreams. I don't like that verse because I'm dreaming like I've never dreamed before. It's weird. Um, the visions, the prophecies, and the dreams. They all speak of God's supernatural work, supernatural action that he does in a very natural way in the lives of those who have submitted themselves to him who have allowed the Spirit of God to do this work in him. And by the way, not all of us are going to have the visions. Not all of us are going to have the prophecies. Not all of us are going to have the dreams. So don't feel bad if you don't. Okay? But I believe these visions, prophecies, and dreams are God's way of augmenting, coming alongside of, his written word. You don't, what's, and what, how do I say this? You know, when I study to teach, I do a lot of reading. And I tell you, most of it this morning, my mind is blank. I can't even remember what it was that I read. And there are times I'm beside myself going, where did, where did that come from? But God doing a supernatural work. I've learned just to trust in it and just go with it, right? It's like, oh, I guess I better go look this up later, you know, that kind of a thing. But, but and, and I think you guys have these same experiences as, as you are in, engaging and talking with other people. That all of a sudden, boom, you get this, this understanding of, of, of the situation that you're in or the, the biblical truth that you want to or need to speak and, and apply uh, with the person that you're dealing with. Because if we have the Spirit of God in us, if we live in union with Jesus Christ, we are called to live supernatural lives. That sounds weird, huh? Some of you are thinking that. But we're called to live supernaturally. These, these are when some of those other verses really come into play, guys, when we're, we're, we're called to walk by faith, not by sight. And to live a life of faith that's submitted to the Spirit of God as we are in union with God the Son. 
the Spirit rested upon them. And then because the Spirit rested upon them, they began to speak with different tongues. As the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had a cloven tongue of fire rest upon me and I began to speak in tongues, I would be pretty confident of the source. And yes, I'm a good Baptist, but I'll tell you this, tongues are for today too. This stuff did not go away. Prove it to me. It did not go away. There's this idea that it's in 1 Corinthians that that which was imperfect, that which is perfect has come, then that which is imperfect will go away. That is not talking about the canon of Scripture. That is talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. It's really clear if you read it. Now, because of who we are, are and how God has made us, there's things that we don't do necessarily practice as a body because sometimes it can, and, and we, we've experienced it here haven't we sometimes it can be just a bit too big, much distraction it's like you need to go do whatever it is that you're doing which in my opinion was not of God anyway go do that somewhere else but they spoke in different tongues as the spirit gave them the ability didn't go away with the formation of the canon, which, is, by the way, is about fourth century. It didn't go away. And by the way, Paul also says to the Corinthians, I'd rather you do other things than just speak in tongues. But it is part of what God will use because we read the narrative here. I don't have the time to go through it, but these people heard in their native tongue. Paul also said that he'd rather say five words that people can understand than say all kinds of words that people cannot understand. And I understand that, and I believe that, and I agree with that, and I'm good with that. Um, I thought it was the funniest thing. I shouldn't tell you this story. Um, So I'm glad you all enjoyed that story. <laughs> Sorry for those of you who are listening in. We edited it out. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And it is the power for ministry. <laughs> 
as the power for service. Probably none of you will be your pa- ever become a pastor, and God bless you for that. <laughs> That's with you. Okay. But what has God called you to do? Where has God given you the ability to speak out? In English, preferably. Okay. See, I'm, I'm, using, I'm using the passage as an illustration now. But what has God given you the ability for? Because your union with Jesus Christ, and I'm, I'm almost done. Your union with Jesus Christ is very much about your relationship to him, yes, but it is more than just about your relationship to him. It is about your service to him as you serve others. Because it is in the serving of others that you really get to know the one who took off his robe And he girded himself with a towel. And he went around to 12 clueless men. And he washed their feet, knowing that he's going to get arrested in a few hours and and let the torture and the suffering and the passion begin. When we serve others, we really get to know that part of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And what that does is that deepens our union with Christ. Amen.